just a moment, I'll be reading from that classic Romans chapter 10 passage of Scripture. You may want to have your Bible open, even though it's going to be on the screen, because uh, there are some rich things we need to dig out and pay attention to. Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. The page number is listed if you're using a pew Bible. I also want to remind you that this morning we conclude a sermon series um, on thank you Martin Luther, uh, celebrating our great confessions, because uh, on the last day of this month, uh, in the year 1517, 500 years ago, uh, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door and thus began what he never imagined as uh, the great reformation and we're still living in the power of that. And so we used this opportunity the past four Sundays to reflect on our great confessions of faith. And they're all important and I would encourage you if you got lost in the weeds or you've been gone to uh, check out online the audio files of those sermons or the written manuscripts uh, and just sort of put it all together because it's an important part of our faith formation that we have an understanding and and an opportunity to listen to what God has to say. Would you join me for a time of prayer, please? Now, Lord, we come into your presence so very, very thankful for the opportunity to participate in global missions. We pray for Ulysses, for Sergei, for all of those working uh, in our partner church, the Disciples of Christ Baptist Church. Uh, We pray for the continued ministry of Ukrainian seminary there, for the church planters as they grow and develop and learn more. We come this morning also in this time of prayer to ponder the reality of our sins and our failures and to acknowledge that we need you more deeply even than we realize and help us in our weak moments to be able to acknowledge that and to be honest with you and to confess what you already know about our sins and our brokenness and our flaws. We also come to ponder our needs, Father. We think about those who are struggling with grief and loss all kinds of loss, loss of jobs, loss of uh, identity, loss of loved ones. Uh, We pray that you would comfort and bless those in illness who are struggling uh, to gain health. We pray, God, as we ponder the holy mysteries of our faith, that you'll teach us more about what it means to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And we also ponder the simple eternal truths that you are for us, that Christ has died for us, that he has been raised for us, and because of him, we have eternal life. And Lord, finally, we ponder today uh, the struggles of our world, the struggles within our own nation for justice and for peace, uh, the struggle to deal with so many natural disasters for those in the path of, uh, of the tropical storm Nate and for those who are still trying to somehow recover from all of the other hurricanes and earthquakes and disasters and We pray that you will bless them and be near them. And God, now just uh, help us to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth you have for us from Holy Scripture, that our uh, words would be acceptable to you, that our meditations would be acceptable to you, that Christ would be honored. Our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Now Romans chapter 10. Uh, Beginning in verse 8, if you're able, would you stand please as God's word uh, is read aloud. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith 
that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And what a wonderful word this is for us this morning. Well, Martin Luther had a crisis of faith that would uh, probably undo most of us. It was excruciating. It was long and it was arduous. Uh, He felt far away from God. He felt guilt. He felt blame. He felt estrangement. He felt spiritual loneliness. Uh, he, He wanted so badly to know God's love and approval. And he fasted so much. Sometimes he would fast three days in a row without so much as a crumb to eat. He would sleep without blankets, thinking that he could somehow pay some kind of sacrifice uh, of pain and discomfort in order to impress God. He would be shivering in the night. He was so cold. He would sometimes, on some days, spend as many as six hours confessing his sins. I mean, think about that. And for everything he did by his own admission and own struggle, uh, he, he couldn't find peace. He couldn't find inner release. He couldn't find a way forward. He couldn't find that sense of pleasure from God. And Martin Luther also wrote later that he discovered something else in this time of shame and guilt, and that is that the, the size of the sin, by that I mean the sort of the, the impact that it had on other people and whether it was premeditated, the size of the sin had nothing to do with the size of the guilt and shame that followed it. In other words, a very small infraction that was unintentional and didn't harm anyone else would just send him into these these convulsions of guilt and shame uh, disproportionate to the the infraction that occurred. And, And he was just all of this up stuff. And then on top of everything else, get this, Martin Luther, who was always honest, would get angry at God. And he'd get angry at a holy God and say, why did you as a holy God impose such impossible standards on us? Crisis of faith. A man who was wrestling to be honest with God and his own sins. Well, we have it today maybe phrased and packaged differently. We're all struggling with existential, personal, social issues. We're all struggling to succeed in life with God, to succeed with other people, to succeed with ourselves, to feel good about ourselves, to feel right about ourselves. But here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I don't even live up to my own standards and my own values not to mention God's standards and values. I mean, think about it. I'm with Martin Luther. You know, that 
that's just a lot to, to try to achieve. And so Paul wrote some very knowing words to Roman believers and, and almost believers in Rome. To those with pagan backgrounds, he said, I know this Greco-Roman concept of beauty that you have, this Greco-Roman concept of beauty and perfection that you feel like you never achieve, that you never quite get it right. Roman soldiers who were so fearful that they'd do one thing wrong in the chain of command and be cast out or killed. Just so much that you have to get right every day of your life. And Paul wrote, to Romans who had Jewish backgrounds, consumed with the idea that eventually maybe we could keep enough rules to make God happy and to make God love us, to keep enough rules to make God smile. And to all of those and all of us, Paul says, you don't have to go down into hell and pay for your sins. You don't have to climb up to heaven and tap dance for God and try to impress Him. It's impossible and it's unnecessary because Christ has already done the work. And it's a powerful message that we cannot earn our own salvation, but we keep trying. Now the breakthrough for Martin Luther came when it finally dawned on him that God is not only holy, but God is tender. That God is not only holy, but loves us so eternally and deeply. When it finally dawned on Martin Luther that faith is a gift, that even the ability to trust God is a gift that God gives us if we choose to, if we, if we open our hearts and accept it. Listen to those powerful verses. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. And did you notice that very carefully Paul did not say that if you believe Jesus is raised from the dead, read it carefully. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, God loves us so much that he raised his son up to show us that he forgives us, that he has power of eternity to open the way for us to an eternal relationship, that it's God's act of love and mercy in raising his own son, speaking to us powerful words of salvation. It's it's God who raises Jesus as we trust in him. And Martin Luther began to experience the power of that. In one place he said, the Bible is alive to me now. It has hands and grabs me. It has feet and runs after me. Because he felt that personal love, God pursuing, God lovingly, tenderly, but persistently coming after him. God became personal and loving so that God is not some judge up in the sky with a frown and scowl on his face writing tickets for us every time we do something wrong. God is rather 
deliverer, savior, and friend. And all of that shifted for Luther once he understood those things. Now, I have to tell you a little personal aside about this passage of Scripture. I love it. It has been sort of the the cornerstone of all of my teaching and preaching and living ministry. Uh, in, In nearly every Bible that I own, this passage is marked. And by the way, I own a lot of Bibles. Uh, I don't know why, I just do. A lot of translations, a lot of different sizes, and as the years go by, I like larger print even better. I somehow think that large print is more inspired than small print, don't you? I sense the Holy Spirit more. But I was nurtured on this passage of Scripture because I learned to share my faith by following around two Northwest Missouri preachers brothers, Billy Herford and Leland Herford, older than me, but I learned and watched and listened as they worked with people and shared the plan of salvation and shared about God's love, and they'd open their Bibles and read this passage of Scripture and gently, lovingly explain it to people. And I just began to see all the power of the gospel invested in this this tiny nugget of Scripture, our great confession of faith that if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's an inside-out job. It's an inward experience of believing in our heart. It's an outward experience of confessing with our mouth. And it's an experience in which we will never be disappointed. Verse 12, uh, that is, verse 11 says that the one who believes will never be ashamed or disappointed. There is this rich satisfaction that comes, this soul satisfaction that comes from experiencing Christ, receiving him and confessing him. Nothing else can satisfy like that, that confession of faith. So it's very special to me, and I trust it is to you. But... Having received Jesus Christ into our lives does not make us perfect. I bet you noticed that, right? Having received Jesus Christ into our lives, confessing Him as Lord, does not solve everything. Martin Luther was not perfect. I I know I just offended all the Lutherans and former Lutherans here this morning. He wasn't perfect. Uh, He was growing in his faith, and he was a person of his own time. For example, he wrote and said some very anti-Semitic things. He said some ugly things about Jewish people. Uh, At other times, he wrote and said some very loving and inclusive things about Jewish people. But he was a product of his age. He had the blinders of his own culture and time. He didn't get it all right. But see, that's what we've been saying about these confessions of faith. To confess that Jesus is Lord, mentioned in today's scripture and also last week's sermon, to confess that Jesus is Lord is to say that the longer I live, I want more and more stuff in my life to come under the rule of Jesus Christ. I want more of my biases and more of my pettiness to come under his lordship. I want more of my... uh, Hatefulness. I want more of my bad habits. I want more of my lack of discipline to come under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a growing process. And to confess Jesus Christ as Lord is not to claim perfection. 
Don't wait till you're perfect to give your life to Christ. It'll never happen. Just come join the rest of us messed up people. We're on our way, right? We're only on our way. And by the way, we talk a lot about Martin Luther's 95 theses that he posted on the church door in Wittenberg in 1517. Pop quiz, does anybody know what any of those 95 says? Any one of the 95 theses, could, could you tell me one of them? Well, here's the first one I want to show you on the screen. Here's the first of the 95. He wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance and conversion. Isn't that interesting? He was saying growing in Christ is an ongoing process, just like James Preston said in the video clip. It's never a done deal. We continue to grow to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. We continue to confess. We continue to repent. We continue to be converted because it's an ongoing process. And that's his very first of 95. Well, there's another beautiful truth here in this scripture, and that is that the scripture makes clear our salvation is easily accessible, but it's also equally accessible. See, easily accessible, Paul says you don't have to do uh, calisthenics to get saved. You don't have to perform works to get saved. You can't. It's a gift you have to receive by faith. It's not only easily accessible, it's equally accessible because verse 12 says there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, in Paul's day, there people made categories. Well, these people can be saved, but those people can't be saved. Paul said, no, God's resources are so rich, richer than you know, God can save anybody. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you've not done. Doesn't matter your history, your past. Doesn't matter your genealogy, your skin color. You can be saved. Doesn't matter your background and family name and family history. You can be saved. Everybody equally accessible. And we don't make distinctions. God is much richer in love than we give him credit for. We try to make God kind of poor, poverty-stricken, and, and unable to come up with the resources to love everybody. Here's a thought. With all these hurricanes that have been going on, imagine that you're doing rescue work after the hurricane while the water is still rising. And imagine you're in a John boat and you're quickly rowing towards someone who is, is quickly losing her grip and won't be able to live much longer unless you can get her into your boat. And imagine you get close enough, you grab her by the arm to pull her into your boat, and you stop and say, wait a minute. Before I save you, I want to know, how did you vote last November? Because politics are important. Or if you said, now wait a minute. Now that we're up close, I see that your skin color is different than mine. Or you, right before you let that, lift that person in, you say, now wait a minute, are you a Cardinals fan or a Royals fan? Because it makes a difference. Or, now wait a minute, have you done a lot of sinning in your past before I save you? Uh, you talk kind of funny. You talk differently than me. I'm not sure... I'm not sure you're worth saving. We wouldn't do that, would we? And how would God 
do any less than us to a world that is drowning and sinking in sin. God's love is for everyone. And I want to offer an invitation this morning. You've heard these four sermons on the great confessions of our faith. I want to invite you, if you've not done so, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, to believe on Him, that God has raised Him from the dead, and to confess Him. I want to invite you during the response time to come and let us know that you are ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's not your situation this morning, I want to invite you to give God an honest chance and to give Jesus a listening opportunity. I want to challenge you in the next month to read one of the Gospels with an open mind and an open heart. One of the Gospels, just pick one, with an open mind and open heart and see if Jesus becomes someone to you different than who he is today. We all build our lives on something or someone. doesn't matter if you're an atheist or an agnostic. We all build our lives on something or someone. I want to encourage you to build your life for time and eternity on this one named Jesus in whom there is no disappointment. He will never disappoint you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for these great confessions of faith by those who've gone before us. Open our hearts now to the power of the gospel. Open our hearts to your living, changing, transforming Holy Spirit. We pray through Christ our Lord.